Hello and welcome to Music of the River City. This is your host, Chris Gooden. This episode features an interview with guitarist Mark Doyle and harmonica player Bud Carson. These two musicians have been playing music in Vicksburg and all over the world for decades, and they've been playing together for almost 40 years. As you'll hear in this episode, their talent, musical chemistry, and sheer enthusiasm for playing is immense. I had a fantastic time interviewing Mark and Bud. Between the two of them, they've played with some of the most iconic and influential musicians in American history. So naturally, they had some great stories to tell. But the part I enjoyed most was just how much fun they had playing music. Although they've shared the stage with legendary musicians and played for crowds of thousands, they obviously still have a great time just sitting around jamming. It was a joy to listen to them. All the transition music between segments in this episode was played by Mark and Bud for this interview, and there's an entire song for you to enjoy at the end of the episode, so stick around to the end. My conversation with Mark Doyle and Bud Carson is coming up, but first, music I love and I think you'll love too. I'd like to start this segment of Music I Love and I Think You'll Love Too with a statement that some of you may disagree with. Disco does not suck. Now, if you were a music fan in the 70s, or at least know a little bit about music history, you may reply that yes, disco does indeed suck, and it died in 1979 at a White Sox game when hundreds of disco records were exploded on the field. However, I would like to spend the next two minutes trying to convince you that not only is disco not dead, it has influenced just about all the music that came after it. As evidence, I'd like to talk about the song Get Lucky by Daft Punk. This song came out in 2013 and was a huge hit all over the world. If you haven't heard it, pause the podcast right now and go listen. Okay, there are two undeniable, incontrovertible facts about this song. One, it is impossibly catchy and you will feel the urge to bob your head, tap your toe, and maybe even dance when you listen. And two, it is 100% disco. One of the really cool things about this song is that it brings together two of the most famous, most recorded, and most influential musicians of the last four decades, bassist Nathan East and guitarist Nile Rodgers. Nile Rodgers is the guitarist for the band Chic. His song Freak Out is a disco classic. But the incredible thing about Nile is just how far beyond disco his influence reaches. As a producer and session musician, he's had a hand in making hits by rockers like Mick Jagger and David Bowie, pop giants like Madonna and Duran Duran, and blues legends like Stevie Ray Vaughan. What's more, his chucking guitar style lives on in just about every funk-influenced artist that's come since, from Michael Jackson to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And what about Nathan East? Unless you're a serious bass fan, you may never have heard of him. But if you've turned on the radio in the last 40 years, you've definitely heard his playing. He's arguably the most recorded bassist of all time. From Michael Jackson's Bad to Eric Clapton's multi-platinum unplugged album, to chart-topping smooth jazz with his band Foreplay, to the Daft Punk hit we're talking about today, Nathan East keeps the groove locked in. He's my favorite bassist, and yes, he plays a mean disco bass line. I hope I've convinced you that disco does not suck, some of the most talented musicians of the last 40 years have played disco, and the influence of disco lives on today in your favorite music. That's why I love the song Get Lucky by Daft Punk, and I think you'll love it too. Check it out. 
Hello and welcome to Music of the River City. I'm here today with Mark Doyle and Bud Carson. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me on the show. Uh, glad to be here. I've, I've wanted to have uh, these two gentlemen on the show for a while now, and uh, now that some of the uh, quarantine is being lifted up, I've had the opportunity to, uh, to talk with them. If you haven't had a chance to see uh, them play around Vicksburg, as, as quarantine restrictions ease up, make sure that you get out and get to see them. But uh, Mark plays the guitar, Bud plays the harmonica, and you get to, a chance to hear him play a little, a little more uh, later in the show. But I want to start off the interview with asking, Mr. Bud, uh, how did you get into playing the harmonica? Strange to see I was a young, young man around the age, a young child about four or five years old. And my grandfather, who was Richard Robinson, stayed in Utica. And I used to go up there and work with him in the fall and winter during harvesting time. And he had a heart. He couldn't play <coughs> practice on it. And every now and then he'd take it out, hit the closet, and sneak outside and go to reminiscing on it. Fitting around with it, and I was a little boy. And I used to sneak and peep out there, wondering what that sound was. Mm -hmm. Making that sound, and being knows, I watched him over and over as he continually to do that on the evening side after harvesting the fields and everything was over here. Go out on the porch at night and, and fiddle around with it. Mm -hmm. I seen where he was hiding them. <laughs> They would have a harp, he would go back and forth in that closet. And I see him watching them. When he leave and go to the field or go to town or something, or go somewhere visiting, I would sneak in that closet and look for it. And I finally found it. It was that old big gallon fruit jar. <laughs> old big gallon jugs. And I used to take it out and go down behind the back of the house so couldn't nobody hear me and play with it. Mm -hmm. And I liked the sound of it. Mm -hmm. I liked the sound of it. I said, Brother, can I learn how to play this? And I messed around and used to hear my mother and her sisters. They would play phonographs. They had old phonographs in 78s back then. And they would be in the kitchen or front room dancing on the weekend on Saturdays or Sundays, mm -hmm. having a good just a finger popping good time, and I would watch. I happened to be watching them dance and have fun mm -hmm. as a little boy, and I heard the sound of that instrument. Mm -hmm. Called harps. Right. Come off of that seven-eight phonograph, and I said, "That sound like the thing I be playing with." Sound the same sound, and I didn't. Uh, know nothing about music, but I wait, watched the damn put the phonographs up and I sneaked around and got the phonograph. Mm -hmm. And would plug it up and play it. When they leave and go to, go to work or go somewhere, I'd sneak in there and get it and play it. And I would hear the songs on there with that instrument. Right. And I said, no, I'm practicing until I learn the 
song so often and I could listen to the sound and listen to the song every chance I get mm -hmm. until I learned a song on there. I see. And after I learned uh, how to blow a little bit, blow the same sound that I was hearing, I said I can play and play that thing. And I kept on messing with it, sneaking and putting it in and out of the jar. My granddaddy noticed something about it, the position I was putting it back in. He would have it in a certain position, which I didn't know. Right. And uh, one day he asked me what I'm doing messing with his harp. Mm -hmm. And I tried to deny it. He said, oh, you've been messing with it. Because I put it a certain way in the jar. And every time I go and come, I see it turn differently. Right. He said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to give it to you. You take it and keep it and you learn how to play it. And that's how I got my start, practicing wow. and practicing and practicing. My grandfather gave me one. I was around four or five years old. When I got up to about the age of uh, 15. And they learned more and more about the sounds that come out and how to play different songs. And I was always uh, shy, real shy to play in front of anybody. I used to be in the house when we moved from out in the country to the city. I would be in the house playing, and my folks would hear me playing, and when they come in the room, they'd look at me. When they look at me, I was what you call fright, mm -hmm. eye contact fright. I see. When they look at me, I stop blowing. <laughs> they would go, don't play, you sound good. I'd be shy, ashamed, <laughs> I wouldn't want to play no more. I'd go in the bathroom, so I'd pull the door, then I'd play, or a closet, I'd go to blowing again. And they'd go, you play that thing, you know how to play that, I told them I practiced it. I kept on practicing it until I, picked up on what to do with it. When you all come over that fight, that fear mm -hmm. of contact, cause you, you play pretty good. <laughs> so my mother come up with a gimmick, the idea how to uh, teach me how to play without being afraid, and uh, uh, eye contact. And my sister would, and went to school and told us instructors that I wanted to play on the talent show. Okay. Which I hadn't seen the word of the trooper. When she got come home and told Mama, they put bird on the talent show. I told him to put him on the talent show. He could win some money. <laughs> I didn't know uh, about playing in front of that many people, the whole student body. Okay. And the instructors too. So I got with some guys that was in the band and they was playing, you know, guitars drums and instruments and that level. I got women who told me let's practice together and do something on the talent show and they practice with me. And I didn't know how to key in or tune in with me. Right. But they knew how to read music so they just lined their instrument up with mine. I see. And the timing and the rhythm just came automatically. Okay. And I hear them play, I automatically pick up the timing and the rhythm from the beat of the drums. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'm blowing and playing and practicing with them on a talent show, which my mother had 
gave me a pair of dog sunglasses to put on so I wouldn't have the eye contact of people when they go on the stage. I see. And that there dressed me up in an old blues outfit. Mm-hmm. One of my dad would be hats and pant pants and coat and jeans and stuff now. I got on the stage and played and dog on the whole student body race. So they didn't believe that what they ears was hearing. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was a recording of how Panamine when I blew in the heart. Wow. And from then on, I, people started contacting me, chicken with my mama and my sister. When we play around town and at them juke joints mm-hmm. in different places. So Mama said, I don't mind if you play, just tell them that you got to pay you. <laughs> right. Um, you get paid. So my sister would take me to the bottom to them juke joints. Mm-hmm. And the bottom different clubs and bands would be down there and I would ask them, can I do a song? They'd let me sit in and do a song, blow my heart. How old were you when you started doing that? About 16. Okay. 16. And you, you said it was for a school talent show that you played the first time? Mm-hmm. Which school Which school was it? The Rose Temple. Okay. Rose Temple High. I was in uh, about the 10th grade. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. After you started playing juke joints, you just never stopped playing after mm-hmm. that? Just, just started playing and sitting in with different bands and different peoples. Okay. And groups. Next thing you know, uh, old Rip, women out of Toulouse, Louisiana, they had a band ripping the dreamers. They picked me up and put me in the band. Man, that man can play the harmonica. <laughs> That's when the road started. Oh, so, you, so you traveled with that band? Yeah. We would go to Louisiana and play, you know, uh, New Orleans, down there, playing the jazz and blues festival. We went around and played a lot of places. All of them were just crazy about how I blew the harmonica. See, I never did learn how to play that note or nothing. Mm-hmm. I just played by ear, whatever. Right. I hear I play, and uh, somebody would tell me, uh, we're going to do this and this game, Keith. You get your blah, blah, blah harp and play along with it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I would just get the ones and keep feeling it just hear that sound mm-hmm. and fall right on in on the song with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Went from there on down the road, been playing ever since. Okay. All right. I'm going to follow up with you more about that in a second, but but I want to ask, Mr. Mark, how did you get started on the guitar? Mm-hmm. Uh, flip of a coin, actually. Okay. Uh, me and a friend of mine, I had already had a guitar uh, from well, some friends of mine that gave it to me back in Chicago. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't playing it anymore. So I bought a old Mel Bay book. Started mm-hmm. playing around with it, learned a few things. Uh, didn't uh, sometimes didn't have no strings. Uh, started using fishing fishing line <laughs> okay. strings. Then uh, moved uh, to another part of Chicago. With another guy that was uh, living on the same floor in projects where I lived. Uh, he was playing bass, but he wasn't too crazy about playing bass, so he wanted to know if we wanted to swap. Mm-hmm. So he flipped a coin. Wind up playing guitar, so. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And that's been a lot of, listening to a lot of records, uh, old guys that played around uh, the neighborhood and looking over a lot of shoulders. You know. Do you ever have a lesson or just? Not far as guitar, no. We have, uh, when I was in school, uh, did a lot of choir and uh, 
jazz band and stuff like that. But uh, I see. So you play a horn or something like that as well? I play flute. Flute, okay. Mm-hmm. Do you ever play that anymore? Here once in a while. Okay. Just want to kick around the house. Yeah. And piano and drums a little bit. Uh, other than that, guitar the main instrument, guitar and bass really. Okay. So what was your first um, like performances or gigs that you actually did on that play? First gig I had uh, maybe 13, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. Mom had to come to the gig because I need parental guidance back then to <laughs> right. come to the club to play. Or, or somebody that was designated as a uh, to watch over you, make sure you ain't somewhere drinking. Right. This is in Chicago? Yeah. Okay. When we, uh, guy that I was playing with up there, we listened back in the late 70s, 80s, we a mixture of music, pretty much funk rock, uh, uh, R&B, some blues, mm-hmm. but pretty much we was into a lot of rock for for a black band to be playing, but mm-hmm. it was uh, the genre at the time where, you know, like, uh, yes, with the only, owner of Lonely Hearts, right. and, uh, 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 Jump, mm-hmm. Van Halen, and stuff like that, and so slowly picked that up, and then he did some Earth, Wind, and Fire. Uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of funk stuff. Uh, cameo. Mm-hmm. Arcades. It was a mixture of R&B stuff. Right. You know, Temptation stuff, of course. You had to cover the standards. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, at that time, did you, were you uh, singing, just playing guitarist in a, in a band, a bigger group, or? Uh, it was four of us. Uh, guitar, bass, drums, and lead singer. I see. Right in the background. I say certain songs I probably do some lead on it, but uh, just uh, background vocals and uh, guitar. Okay. So I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. We'll circle back around to some other stuff. But how did the two of you find each other and start playing music together? Well, when I moved to Mississippi, with '86, '83, somewhere around there, uh, I was playing around the house, and I guess uh, Bud lived down the hill from me. Okay. And he probably heard me playing or something. Somehow we hooked up uh, at, at a club around the open house. Mm-hmm. I ended up going down there and it turned to a big jam session. So you in the neighborhood, so you might as well do, you ain't doing anything, come play with us. But I played with his blues band and then it was an R&B band called Category One that I was playing with that was around town. Because um, my sister, when he and Pape, she worked up the hill from uh, where Mark and his mother lived. Mm-hmm. We stayed at the bottom of Highland Avenue, mm-hmm. and she would be coming from work, and she would hear that sound of a guitar coming out of that house, and she said, "Good, uh, man, that boy just moved in the neighborhood, stay up the street there and played the fool out of guitar." <laughs> I come by there and he'd he be playing it every evening when I be getting off. Y'all go up there and listen, see who he is. I eased up there. I was outside the house on the side of the house listening. <laughs> Eavesdropping. I said, well, don't go nowhere. There ain't nobody playing. He ain't playing that. That's some Jimmy Hendrix and Alan Clapton and Les Zeppelin, different beat mm-hmm. musicians, real heavy guitar string players. I said, I know. I finally eased on, caught him in between his. Uh, practice sessions mm-hmm. and beat on that wall and got his attention. And he uh, come around and focus his mother, let me on the end. I said, man, 
as you playing it, and I went in there looking at around his room, seeing all that equipment and stuff. I said, as you playing it, the guitar and them songs, yeah. I said, I don't believe that there. I said, let me see. I said, I thought it was a trickery. He had it hooked up like he was doing, but it wasn't doing it. Right. And then I, he went to beating on the guitar, hitting it. I said, yeah, oh, you play like this here. I said, well, <clears throat> I blow the harp. Mm -hmm. I told him old hog was going to introduce his hog to the guitar. I said, well, we played blues. I played with a blues band down the hill. We played the juke at the open house every weekend and night. I said, sometime we down here, you might want to come sit in with us and play. And I said, I'm going to probably work it out. We got some, some, some shows you can get paid playing blues. We playing, making much, but we're glad to have you. Sit in with us and play. Mm -hmm. Doggone it. I had to ask his mother permission to get his permission to go down there. And uh, I ain't forgetting. Uh, I told him I'm going to pay him up front every time he go play. <laughs> that part she liked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he, he was able to go down there. Don't let him be drinking. Don't let him do this and that. All right. He's the designated driver, because. Okay. We didn't want him to drink it because he was younger than us, most of us. We took him on down there and got in the club. And that's the town booth sit there in the back and finally got on a song that we was doing. Mm -hmm. And them man, guys in the bed, man, who is that? That's a bad man. <laughs> bad man. Who is he? Where he from? Man, we need him in the band. Mm -hmm. And that's how me and him took off. We just jumped out in the water. He and I started playing with each other ever since then. We played with the old <coughs> rip, Ripping the Dreamers, then we had an, our own band, it was a, we was with Blues Dudes. Blues Dudes? Yeah. Okay. We were another one, guy named Blues. Carl Cardwell and Jack Cluther. He, he was out of Tulula and Mountain, Louisiana. Quite a few drums. Alvin Ray. T-Baz out of Tallulah and Boo out of Tallulah playing the drums and we ended up <coughs> making not a lot of good noise together. <laughs> Introduce him to them. We used to play juke joints over there in Tallulah. We'd sit in and doggone that made old Ray feel good because Ray used to try to play the lead guitar. He couldn't play it like Bob could so that Ray said, hey, just go to perform and sing it. Let him play. Okay. And learned the songs. Franklin Runt's songs of E, he picked up on these and then we started throwing down together. Mm -hmm. So, and some somewhere along the way, y'all dropped the rest of the band, huh? Well, not actually. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of the clubs now were uh, mm -hmm. one, one and two man duos Shows. and singles and trios and... They don't want a big group? No, no they don't want to pay a big group. Ah, right. Yeah, but we Basically the same thing. We did four man thing. Uh, where, uh, Jack was still playing bass with us, and we had a guy named Michael Brown. He was playing drums with us. He lives in Memphis. Uh, and, you know, guitar, bud on heart, mm -hmm. vocals. And, you know, money's right. We do the whole band thing. But I see. I see. Uh, basically, as far as convenience, 
far as these clubs you know had to like big them to death to try to get a gig at them because of the money uh be cheap on them and let's get we gotta carry <laughs> right right yeah. uh, a lot of the clubs have downsized the bands because they don't want to pay for a whole band so a lot of bands have resorted to start doing singles duos and sometimes trios yeah well <laughs> uh so Mark, tell me how you got uh, got into Little Richard's band. Oh, uh, 20 years ago, <laughs> <laughs> there's another friend of mine uh, uh, named uh, uh, David Adams. They call him Ranger. Mm -hmm. uh, he does. He was doing sound for Little Richard. Uh, actually, uh, there's a lady over in Jackson named uh, Linda Jacobs. Mm -hmm. She uh, helped put on the first Riverfest. I mean, not Riverfest, but... Uh, was a Julie Jam over there in right. Jackson, and she had uh, Richard over there, and she had told him she was looking for another guitar player, and and Ranger knew me, so she he recommended me to her. She recommended me to Richard, and mm -hmm. flew me out to L.A. for audition, and that was pretty much it. But the other guy had he had quit touring because he had cancer, and mm -hmm. just I gave it on up. So, right. so what was the audition like? Uh, here's a bunch of CDs, learn them. Okay. <laughs> That's it. And yeah. Um, go for what you do. Yeah, we will never practice it. I might practice during a sound check every once in a while. Other than that is, you might get a bootleg of, of the show so you can learn it. Mm -hmm. And so it just build up and then you find your place in the, in the band where you play a part that doesn't, you know, contradict somebody else's plan. Right. Because you got so many members in the band. Mm hmm Worked his way out. How long did you do that? Uh, 15, 16 years. Wow. Um, Roughly how many dates a year would, would Little Richard do during that time frame? We usually do the weekends. Mm -hmm. Unless we go to like the Vegas or Europe. Europe we usually stay about two, three weeks. Vegas we'll stay maybe two two weeks out there at Caesars Palace. Mm -hmm. uh, or if we do a tour, it might be a month. Right. When they was having the fireworks specials at uh, White House, mm -hmm. we did that twice. Wow! For which president? Uh, well, that was a good question. It was Bush. Bush. Yeah. You didn't get to meet him though. No. No. We no. yeah. <laughs> got, got to hang out in a, a Capitol building. Yeah. They let you in, but you ain't going in the Senate or the Congress. Right. right. <laughs> Mr. Bunn, uh, you told me uh, one time about. When you uh, played with Willie Dixon, I played with them once too. Did you with Little Richard? Yes, <laughs> Tell me about that. That was a yeah. What was that? San San Diego or something? Uh, Puerto Rico. Yeah. Down below San Diego. Yeah. I had. Uh, that was a, a casino. Casino. Yeah. yeah, the big resort casino. Mm -hmm. You were back up in the mountains, and I was sitting at the house, and he called me. From out there on tour with little Richard. And he said, uh, Rich, Rich, you need a hard player. You want to come out here? <laughs> I told him about you. I said, Yeah, I don't mind coming out. I'm going to get out there. We're going to send for you. We're going to send for you. Go to pack up, get ready. <laughs> I looked up. Next thing you know, in a plane, Delta Airlines, flying out there. And I was sitting on a ticket and everything. Sent me tickets and round trip tickets and everything. I flew on out there 
guy uh, <clears throat> picked me up at the airport in San Diego. Intensity and turned, I guess that's how it turned into rock and roll. Right. You know, pretty much balls to the wall, and he had a drive going to mm-hmm. it behind a backbeat. A steady, regular old shuffle blues type uh, deal. And, and put some energy behind it. Mm-hmm. I, I turned out to be rock and roll, I guess. I got a chance to play the National Jazz and Blues Festival in New York. Mm-hmm. 
You know, you would have said what Mark, you wouldn't would have said. Oh, I think James Brown was playing yeah. on the stage. Yeah. James Brown was highlighting the show. Wow. The show. And we got invited down there because we were playing with an old fella out of Toluca River. Mm -hmm. And he was like the godfather of the blues to the state of Louisiana, Delta Blues. Mm -hmm. Like you might have uh, Muddy Waters or Johnny Hooker in Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Main River. Uh, only date for us to be able to play down there on that festival. Mm -hmm. Got out there and got a sound check. I mean, got set up and everything, got interviewed and everything. <coughs> And uh, we were waiting, dying, waiting to go on. And what give us a good show was James Brown got sick. Mm. <laughs> and, he, and the band was playing. And they had the script, script part of his show. And so the guy told us to go it on because the crowd was going to be gone. Y'all better go on and kick off. Mm. And we went on back over to the stage. He allowed us to come behind the stage and watch James Brown. Mm -hmm. We went on back over there on stage four because we were supposed to be sitting up there. I went to plan, and man, what you talk about, the people stopped at the track. <laughs> they was like, who in the water now? We, we cut up. It, and the trippy part about it, we had the program set up where uh, we usually let Ray go on, either Greg come on, do the blues, and, and they got down there and froze. <laughs> They froze, then the mic was going. They got down there and froze up. And so I said, man, let me kick this thing off. I just grabbed a harbor and went and scratched my back. And I, I, I wind back up and leave. And once they get loosened up, they relax. Right. And somebody got to loosen them up. Man, it's playing in front of that many people. How many people were there? You couldn't see. About 30,000? 30,000. Wow. Couldn't even see the number for his. And they thought, if the idea was to go and get us on because the people's going to just walk off. Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. I wasn't tolerating that with the band. I ain't come this far for nothing. We're going to get, we're going to, y'all going to hear us. Yeah. And man, we was the talk of that show the whole time down there. The whole wow. night. Was the highlight of the show. What year was that? Do you remember? Oh, man. Like 80, <laughs> the year James Brown got locked up between. 82. No, no, no. 88. 88. Uh, yeah. About 85, 86. I'll have to later than that. Uh, I'd say 88, 88, 88. And we, uh, we played that festival mm -hmm. that same year. Okay. New Orleans Jazz and Blues Festival. Wow. And the band got a lot of exposure. Wasn't a big push for blues as it is now. Of course, so the disco and stuff was yeah. coming out. Mm -hmm. Disco. And all of a sudden you had this big surge of Everybody wanted to get into the blues again, especially mm -hmm. with the European thing going there was loving to death. Right. We we yet played blues, but we we got with Lewis. Uh, Lewis kind of we got away from Rip band. We would sit in with Rip. Mm -hmm. I think Lewis was a keyboard player, then we would do more we uh, contemporary stuff. Yeah, it was contemporary stuff. Every now and then they have the blues act. Show. But the thing was uh, a wide variety of music, mm -hmm. the blues, the rock, the uh, rock R and B, you know, yeah. some Santana would do some uh, uh, uh some of everybody shoots <laughs> <laughs> some, 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 we aimed out in that direction and all of a sudden 
You pull attract more people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. They don't know what you're gonna play, mm-hmm. but we keep the show interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, like, what y'all gonna play? I don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't keep no list. We just call off top of the head to read the crowd. You know, mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't really when you're playing with a list. You can't. You, you, you might have it all charted out nice and neat, and you know we're gonna do this song at this certain time. This, it don't work. Right. The yeah. rhythm of the audience. Yeah, you gotta feel the crowd. Good feedback. Get your feedback off the deck. Mm-hmm. And we kept on, and next thing you know, we, uh, Mark said, I kind of moved, a couple of them moved from here. Mm-hmm. Kind of difficult for the drummer to come from Memphis down here to practice and then play with us. Unless money's ready. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, Lewis moved to Florida. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was hard for him to come back. Me and Jack and Law was the only three original amigos left. Yeah, I see. <laughs> uh, we uh, peddled around and peddled around. Went on back to the old school blues. Right. Something that we could do and was familiar with. And that just left me with the heart. Mm-hmm. So, I hate to kind of carry the show. Mm-hmm. That's when all the blues society mm-hmm. started popping up, and blues everybody started blues. trying to promote Mississippi as a blues. Mm-hmm. So that kind of researched the blues industry back then. Well, you gonna come back on the show? They want us to just be down there with Maristar and the bottleneck blues bar, open, open up shows, play on the shows, mm-hmm. different venues they would have around here in town. They would really pushing for the fund mm-hmm. of the blues society. Right. And they had to have somebody that could play the blues. Right. Right. The blues. The old blues. Right. The blues sound. Mm-hmm. And that was us. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what we got our hands in the door. Okay. And later on, <coughs> they had Willie Dixon. They discovered that Willie Dixon was from here. <laughs> found out. After all them years. After all them years. And inviting him back, his family mm-hmm. down here. He was going to do that memorial mm-hmm. contribution, contribution from him, and uh, he asked us to come play. Okay. Because we were the only one playing something like Muddy Waters or Johnny Hooker Howard, Wolf Dive, or Blues. Right. Rest of them would play that rock like blues. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the Steve Ray Vaughn type stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or some Malico type blues. Right. Uh, blues, old school blues. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and uh, I got Mr. Michelle called me up one day down at the record shop. Mm-hmm. She said, Bud, I even used it, I left my car with because I used to buy instruments from a practice back then at the old time. Me and Mom would get our equipment and instruments from her. Mm-hmm. And she said, Bud, somebody down here want to meet you. You need to get out of here as quick as possible. <laughs> at the record shop. Come on down. I didn't know who it could be. She didn't tell me. And when I got out the tr- car, a truck across the street, I looked and started walking. The closer I got, I seen a, a guy with that old godfather had me a big cigar mm-hmm. inside the record shop. I got out and went on in the record shop. You know who this is? I said, I know that guy from somewhere. This is Willie Dixon. <laughs> I said, what? He 
he wanted to meet you. We told him how you feel, how hard you were. He wanted to do a few jams with you in Hartford. I was down to play bass. He used to play with James Brown too a long time ago. He did <laughs> sit it up on the outside. He arranged it where he would sit up on the outside of the record shop. Mm -hmm. and, uh, he got that big old bass guitar here. Mm -hmm. and, uh, no, no. He gave, got the big lead that uh, the kind of Gibson. Gibson, this ball Gibson. Uh, he got that big uh, Looked like uh, 335, uh, look like. Or the L5, the L5 is the big. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sit him outside on a stool, bar stool. Mm -hmm. I sit over there on the bar stool, and we hooked up, we quickly sit out there with the car down. And we ain't got to wait you to play all my you. And you I was much younger than him. Mm -hmm. they were, Playing in the bottom back then, right. he was playing down in the bottom. I used to go and see him. Really? Way back as a little child when they were playing in bars and clubs and the blue room and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was young and I used to sneak and go see him, mm -hmm. listen to him play. Sometimes they used to be on the street corners playing back then. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know who, he, he, who his legacy was until mm -hmm. right around that time. It's Willie Dixon. Wow. I got a chance. Three weeks later, he passed away. Mm. I said, well, don't nobody want to believe this, but I got a chance to play with him before he died. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Music of the River City. This was a fun one. Mark Doyle and Bud Carson have played with some of the most influential musicians in American music history, and it was a real treat to talk with them and have them play for us on Music of the River City. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you'll be automatically notified when new episodes come out. And please tell a friend about Music of the River City. If you have questions, comments, or know someone who would like to be featured on the podcast, please contact me at musicoftherivercity at yahoo.com. To end this episode, enjoy a song from Mark and Bud. Thanks for listening.
chilling, boogie on down. <laughs>